Let's turn in those ancient words back to the gospel according to John. Surprise, surprise. John chapter 20 to be exact. In John chapter 20, it is now early Sunday morning. Mary Magdalene is approaching the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid to rest just before sunset on Friday evening. The same day he had been crucified. As she approached the tomb, she discovered the stone that had been used to seal it had been rolled away. Assuming someone had stole the body, Mary immediately turned and ran to tell the others. Peter and another disciple, thought to be John, the author of this gospel that bears his name, came running to the tomb. And upon further investigation, found Jesus' grave clothes, the cloths that had wrapped his body, to be just where they ought to be, minus the body. And look at verse 7 of John chapter 20. The face cloth, which had been on his head, not laying, lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Strange. Peter pondered. The unnamed disciple believed. Believed that Jesus had risen from the dead just as he promised he would do. They left the tomb and returned home. And Mary Magdalene returned to the tomb. It was there that she became the first to encounter the risen Lord, Jesus, risen from the dead. And once she recognized him for who he really was, Jesus commanded her to return to the others and tell them what she had heard and seen. That evening, the disciples were gathered in a room behind closed doors for fear of the Jews, according to verse 19. And Jesus appeared in their midst. But Thomas was absent. And when the others told him of Jesus' appearance, Thomas responded with that, what has become an infamous reply, preserved forever. In John chapter 20, verse 25. Unless I see his hands, in his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not, I will not believe. Have you ever said something that now sitting here and looking back, thinking about it, you can almost cringe? Feel the flush in your face and your ears begin to 
heat up. Most of us can recall one of those embarrassing foot-in-your-mouth experiences. I can think of more than one. But Thomas had at least one. But eight days later, these same disciples were gathered behind closed doors once again. And this time, Thomas was with them. And Jesus made another appearance. He invited Thomas to fulfill what he had demanded earlier. And Thomas responded, My Lord and my God. In that moment, all his doubt had flown away. This morning, we'll be focusing on the final two verses of John chapter 20. We've referred to them often over this two and a half year study of this gospel account of John. They are important verses because they disclose the author's purpose for writing this fourth account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already been written and circulated among the New Testament churches when John decided to sit down and write his own version of the life and ministry of Jesus. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he discloses the what and the why he chose to write what he wrote. What material he chose to include and why he chose to include it. John's purpose was clearly evangelistic. And so, as we focus on these verses this morning, it is my hope and prayer that we will be better prepared to proclaim the gospel in our own circles of influence right where God has planted us. With this in mind, I'd like to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for the reading from God's Word. I know on the screen behind me, we begin at verse 30, but allow me to begin at verse 28 of John chapter 20. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, Exclamation mark. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. This is God's word 
to us today. You may be seated. Father, you are God Almighty. The psalmist has testified. God has spoken plainly. And I've heard it many times. Power, O God, belongs to you. And certainly Jesus' resurrection from the dead was a definitive display of that power. In the words used by the Apostle Paul, I pray that the Father of glory may give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we may know the hope to which he has called us. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Yes, Lord. Open our eyes so that we may see spiritual realities. Give us receptive hearts, determined wills, and a love for you and others that will leave us increasingly wanting to live lives that please you and bring glory to your name. For it is in Jesus' name we humbly ask. Amen. Prior to coming to the Rock Community Church, Cynthia and I spent two years in Jupiter, Florida. During that time, Cynthia was employed by Jupiter Christian School. She had been hired to develop a gifted education program for students with exceptionalities. I, on the other hand, worked as a consultant for Image Resource Group, IRG, an environmental graphic and design implementation firm. Their fields of expertise include interpretive design, branding, and wayfinding. Wikipedia defines wayfinding as, and I am quoting, encompassing all the ways in which people in parentheses, and animals orient themselves in physical space and navigate from place to place. Wayfinding. On the IRG website, we find the following explanation. The science of wayfinding is straightforward, with the end result being to identify, direct, inform, and regulate. Regardless of the application, regardless of the application, be it pedestrian, vehicular traffic, or a combination of both, the essential need to provide effective wayfinding is fundamental to the human experience. In other words, it involves helping people get from point A to some desired point B with minimal frustration. Wayfinding, 
helping others get to where they need to go. Have you ever been to Victoria Hospital in London? Oh my. I would highly recommend that they give IRG a call. I don't think I've ever been in that hospital and been able to exit by the same door I entered. It, I'm not usually directionally challenged, but that place is like a maze to me. Wayfinding, helping people, helping others get to where they need to go. That is the primary purpose of this gospel according to John. Helping people get to where they need to go. And to accomplish that purpose, John presented the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that is both convincing and compelling. Why do I say that? Look again at verse 30. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. You and I would probably refer to them as miracles. Supernatural displays of God's power. But John wanted his readers to see them as much more than just displays of supernatural power. Nicodemus got it right. The teacher of Israel who came to see Jesus under the cover of darkness back in John chapter 3 admitted no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus' supernatural displays of power were like flashing neon signs pointing to his true identity. They functioned like John the Baptist's verbal announcements to those two of his disciples that were standing next to him as he pointed at Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These signs included in John's gospel make his presentation convincing. By the way, that word therefore at the beginning, at the very beginning of this verse ties John's purpose for writing this gospel account to what had just happened. Remember? Thomas had just expressed his faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, as a result of his own personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Notice how Jesus responded to Thomas at that moment. It's almost like he's saying, that's fine, but blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Therefore, John wrote so that believers would be able to believe without ever having a personal encounter or seeing the resurrected Jesus. And so, under the inspiration of God, the Apostle John employed seven plus one signs to do just that. 
to write an account that would enable others to believe just as Thomas has believed without ever seeing the resurrected Jesus. Do you remember the seven plus one signs in the Gospel of John? The first is presented in chapter 2, where Jesus takes water and turns it into wine at a wedding in Galilee, in Cana of Galilee. The second, in John chapter 4, is the healing of a nobleman's son at a distance, or from a distance. Jesus didn't need to go to Capernaum to heal this young boy. John chapter 5, he heals a man who had been lame for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. In John chapter 6, he fed 5,000 men using just five barley loaves and two fish. Perhaps if we included men or women and children, the crowd would have been about 20,000 people. Later in that same chapter, John chapter 6, Jesus walked out on the Sea of Galilee to join his disciples as they were struggling in a boat caught in a violent storm. Number six, John chapter nine, he healed a man who had been born blind, really by creating two brand new eyes. Number seven, John chapter 11, Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead after being in the tomb for four days, decomposition would have already begun. Then, of course, the the granddaddy of them all, the resurrection of Jesus himself from the dead on the third day. Seven plus signs, all pointing to Jesus' true identity as the Christ, the Son of God, convincing evidence that he was who he claimed to be. Notice the signs that John included in his account were representative. Notice verse 30 again. Many other signs Jesus also performed, which are not written in this book. That is significant. John admitted that his presentation was incomplete. This is not a comprehensive list of the miracles, signs that Jesus performed. If we were to survey all four Gospels, we'd actually come up with 35 different miracles that Jesus performed and that are recorded in the Gospel account. At the end of John chapter 21, we read that, And there were also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. John chose seven, seven signs to represent the many. That leads us to the next point. John selected the seven specific signs to be included, excluding many others. That would suggest care and intentionality. So the signs included 
in John's account of the life and ministry of Jesus were carefully and intentionally selected. Just seven, just seven from the many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples. Perhaps our gospel presentations could be more convincing. There are no guarantees, of course. Jesus could rise from the dead and still people would choose not to believe. But what legitimate evidence, according to the scriptures, what legitimate evidence could you and I conclude or include in our gospel presentations that would make them more convincing? I've come up with a list of five possible inclusions. Number one, general revelation. The order and design of God's creation offers, well, how does Romans chapter 1 put it? Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Including these invisible qualities of God displayed in his creation will make our gospel presentations more convincing. Number two, special revelation. The Bible is a supernatural book with supernatural power. It is a book like none other because it consists of the very words of God. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 claims, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. But to use it effectively, we need to know it, know the contents of this book. R.C. Sproul once said, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Wow. Everyone is looking for power in a program, in a technique, in anything and everything except where God has placed it, his word. Including the Bible in our presentations of the gospel will make them more convincing. Number three. A changed life. People can see when we're not the same people that we used to be. And I'm not talking about some kind of behavioral modification, but the Spirit's transformation. The Spirit who resides within each and every genuine believer renovates us from the inside out so that our lives become more and more characterized by love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. A gospel presentation backed by a life that is increasingly displaying those kinds of character qualities is more, than, is more convincing than one that does not. Number four, engagement in a loving, united community of believers. Check out the end of Jesus' prayer recorded in John chapter 17. He prayed that they may be one, Father, that they may be one, just as we are one, so that the world may know that you sent me. Number five, good deeds that improve the lives of others, especially good deeds that require personal sacrifice. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one would walk with me than simply point the way. We all know that words can be cheap. My mom used to say, George, your actions speak louder than your words. I still want to debate that. (laughs) I suppose that it may be true, but I don't want to ever minimize the power of a clear, concise, verbal proclamation of the gospel. It's absolutely essential. But our actions and reactions will either reinforce or undermine the impact of our verbal presentation, making them more or less difficult to dismiss. These are just some examples that came to my mind of signs that we can make part of our present part of our gospel presentations that would make them more convincing. In the same way that the signs included in John's gospel made his presentation of the gospel more convincing. John's presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is both convincing and compelling. The motivations of John's gospel behind John's gospel, serve to make his presentation compelling. John reveals his twofold motivation in John chapter 31, chapter 20, verse 31. Notice, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Motivation number one, so that others would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This belief had transformed John's life. And he wanted others to have an opportunity to experience the same that had taken place in his life. From one who had previously shared the nickname, Sons of Thunder, to the Apostle of Love 
is an undeniable transformation, evident in his contributions to the New Testament. He's not looking to persuade people intellectually about Jesus as Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Rather, he wanted them to believe those foundational truths so that by faith they might receive the salvation that leads to a fullness of life that comes with believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that leads us to John's second motivation for writing. Motivation number two, so that others would have life in him. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is quoted as saying, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. John knew that believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, his readers would have life in Jesus' name. That is to say, eternal life. Life with God, both now and forever. Eternal life refers to both a quantity and a quality of life. So John's gospel, in the end, brings us back to the beginning. To his prologue, right at the beginning of the book. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who will believe in his name. John chapter 1, verse 12. We've come full circle. From beginning to end, John's motivation for writing was to see others, that others would come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing that they might have life in his name. Beloved, motivation matters. But motives can be a tricky thing, can't they? Proverbs chapter 21 verse 2 reminds us, Every man's way seems right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs his heart. We're not sharing the gospel to grow the Rock Community Church. Although the Rock Community Church will probably go grow if we're faithfully sharing the gospel. Neither are gospel presentations made to make us feel good. For our benefit. For what we get out of it. So that we're left feeling good about ourselves. Our walk with God. Although all that will probably happen. If we're sharing the gospel. Nor does this kind of activity win brownie points with God. Although he is pleased when we obey. And obedience does promote intimacy with God. Jesus is quoted in John chapter 14 verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him. 
and will disclose myself to him. Intimacy. So here's the deal. As we work out the salvation that God is working in us, growing in our relationship with him, laying aside those sins that so easily entangle us, and following in Jesus' footsteps, we develop a genuine love and increasing concern for other people. As a result, our love for God and our love for people, we will be compelled, we'll be motivated to share the gospel with everyone and anyone who will take the time to listen. The signs that make John's presentation convincing. His motivation make it compelling. Wayfinding. Helping others get to where they need to go. The Apostle John was a wayfinder. He presented the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that was both convincing and compelling. And so can you. And so can I. You see, God empowers true believers to be proclaimers of the gospel. And what exactly is the gospel? What are we talking about? It's really an invitation. An invitation to believe. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, Israel's long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God. That he was God dressed in human flesh. That he himself did not sin, lived a perfect life, but he died a horrible death to pay the price for our sins. And that he was buried, but on the third day rose from the dead, proving that God accepted his death as payment for our sin so that now we can experience the forgiveness of God based on Jesus' accomplishment. And beloved, God empowers you and I to be proclaimers of that gospel. I just want us to consider three supporting passages. Listen to these familiar verses from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. The Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God empowers us to be disciple makers. As we are going about our business of living life together in this localized expression, the body of Christ, called the Rock Community Church. We are to be making disciples by baptizing them and teaching them. Teaching them to obey all that the Word of God commands. By the Word of God, we mean the Word of God made flesh and dwelt among us, and also 
the written word of God, teaching them to obey all that God has commanded. Beloved, we may do more than this, but we dare not do less. We have been empowered to be disciple makers. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Drop down to verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness the power of God will be a, so greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Another translation uses fragile container. I like that. God empowers us to be fragile containers of a great treasure, namely the, the gospel. We are like light bulbs. The light created by electricity flowing through the filament shines through the glass bulb that protects the filament. We are like that glass bulb. The one who claimed to be the light of the world shines through us. Matthew chapter 5 reads, We are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let's let our little light shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Flip the page over. To the next chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, the new things, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. God empowers us to be ambassadors for Christ. Canadian ambassadors represent Canadian interests in foreign countries. As genuine believers, we become Christ's ambassadors in a foreign country. By our words and our deeds, 
our actions and our reactions. We celebrate, demonstrate, proclaim Jesus' interests, his values, his character, plans, and purposes. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 states it well. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. Disciple makers, fragile containers of a great treasure, ambassadors for Christ. God empowers believers, true believers, genuine believers, to be proclaimers of the gospel. So how do we respond? What do we do with all this? It's really simple. Proclaim the gospel. To the very best of your ability. In both word and in deed. Proclaim the gospel. Be a wayfinder. Help people to find their way by pointing to the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's exclusive. John chapter 14, verse 6. I didn't say that. Jesus says that. Someone wrote, John was not writing a biography to entertain or a history to enlighten. He was writing a gospel that could change lives forever. And beloved, it's the same gospel that you and I share. And it still can make a difference for all eternity. We gather in this place week after week, month after month, year after year to celebrate and to be equipped so that we can scatter, go out, leave, into our own individual circles of influence to demonstrate and proclaim this gospel. To everyone and anyone, who will take the time to listen again and again and again with gentleness and respect. Remember that successful witnessing is taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, leaving the results to God. I like Rico Tice's explanation our job is not to convert people. It is not to convert people. It is to witness to Christ. Conversion isn't the mark of a successful witness. Witnessing is. Think about a courtroom. Witnesses are to tell the truth. That's a successful witness. If the jury doesn't believe them, that's not their fault or failure. 
You have not failed if you explain the gospel and are rejected. You have failed if you don't try. Wayfinders, help others get to where they need to go. Let's pray. Father, we, may we not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. May we love to tell the story, celebrating, demonstrating, and proclaiming the gospel so that we will be the disciple makers, fragile containers of the great treasure and ambassadors for Christ that you've empowered us to be. Give us courage and strength. Keep us from the fear of man and any kind of discouragement. By the power of your spirit and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.